It was about five years ago to this very day, uh, I had received a call to come to Somerville as your new rector at St. Paul's in Somerville. Um, I had been in Conway at another St. Paul's as their rector for almost 18 years, and so I'm glad I came. I miss my folks back there. I knew I would, but I found a new parish family that I love and adore. And uh, so we have no misgivings, but I knew that we were leaving behind a lot of people we cared for deeply, uh, and some of my fishing buddies. So it was about this time that I grabbed my youth minister, Sean, and uh, Sean Richardson, and we took my Carolina skiff one last time before we, I moved to Somerville, and we went out from Mer- Merle's Inlet, about 10 miles offshore, to fish for spade fish. Now, neither Sean nor I are afraid of the ocean. The sea does not frighten us. You know, some people get where they cannot see the shore anymore, and it bothers them. Well, we don't get squeamish. Uh, We've been out there many times. We know how to avoid the danger. So we had checked the weather thoroughly. It was coming in, some bad weather in the afternoon, so we decided we'd get there early. We were out at 7 a.m. fishing the reef about 10 miles off when we had already caught a couple of fish. looked like a great day. We were going to be home by noon. But about 9 o'clock, the storms began to roll in, one to the north and one to the south, and these were big ones. Uh, We didn't mind a little rain, but electricity is not something you want to play with. Mind you, my Carolina skiff is the tallest point for a 10-mile radius, most likely to be struck in the middle of the ocean. As Sean was relaying back on the UHF radio to see what these storms were doing, he said, ouch, ouch, ouch. I said, Sean, what is up? He said, I'm being shocked. I'm like, no. I thought maybe it was an electrical thing with the radio and the boat and all that kind of stuff. But then I heard the lines on the rod begin to make this high-pitched whining sound. And I grabbed one of the the lines and it stopped and released it. And it started back with this high-pitched whine. I threw one of the the rods out. uh, The line arched and for a moment just kind of froze there and then crumpled uh, into the water. Sean and I both looked at each other, it's time to go, brother. And so I was reeling in my last rod, and I got shocked so badly that I dropped my rod and reel into the water never to be seen again. It was a frightening moment. We were caught between two electrical storms that were arcing back and forth. We could have died at any moment. So these grizzled, tough, seafaring, courageous guys were humbled and fearful and prayerful. You know, I've only had two of those instances on the water, both having to do with my youth ministers. The other time, it was Paul Rogers back at St. Helena's in Beaufort. Both times we were escaping danger, trying to get back to the shore, trying to pray to God that he would protect us. And both times, I kid you not, my youth ministers throw themselves down in the bottom of the boat. So now the rector of the church is the tallest point in a 10-mile radius, most likely to be struck by lightning. I don't know what it is. I guess the rector's expendable. Or maybe youth ministers are just amazingly wimpy guys. No offense, Corey, no offense. But there's some logic in that. There's no sense in us both dying. All this is to say that the sea is awesome. The sea is powerful. The sea is humbling The sea is an uncontrollable force that cannot be tamed by the hand of man, but only by the hand of God. So I want to reflect on that this morning. We've got two stories about storms, 
fearful men, terrorized by the storms and the waves and the wind, crying out to God. And I'll look at, first of all, the storm that reveals our greatest fears. Our greatest fears are oftentimes revealed in storms. Storms reveal what we believe about prayer, and storms reveal what we believe about God. So let's start with that. Storms reveal our greatest fears. Did you know or have you ever considered that our Hebrew ancestors were deathly afraid of water, of seas? Jewish people weren't seafaring people. They were not uh, typically uh, fishermen on the ocean. Now, Jesus had some fishermen in his discipleship group, but they were on the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a sea. It's a big old lake and fairly calm most of the time. They were landlubbers. In Exodus, it says, my father was a wandering Aramean. And that means that they were nomadic. They, they loved to raise cattle. They didn't love to go out on the dangerous sea. The Hebrew people would take the desert any day. They feared a watery death in the middle of a storm. So in Scripture, water and storms become metaphors for our greatest fears and anxieties. And I just want to ask you guys today, what kind of storms are brewing in your life? What are you greatest, most in fear of right now? What is that one uncontrollable part of your life that you can't seem to get power of command over, that you can, the storm that you cannot seem to calm yourself? What's your storm? Let's look at two things. Jonah chapter 2 that we just read. And I want to look at Jonah's storm and then the disciples from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and following. Here's the fear that had gripped Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Jonah called out for the Lord in prayer. Now, where was he at this moment? He was in the belly of a fish on the bottom of the sea. Pretty, predi pretty bad predicament. So not only was he in chapter 1 on a boat and rough seas, but now he's been thrown overboard into the depths of the sea, into the belly of the fish, at the bottom of the sea. And he says, I cried out to the Lord in distress. His prayer was one of distress. Verse 3, it says, I am cast into the deep, into the very heart of the sea. Verse 5 says, the waters have closed over me. The deep has surrounded me. Weeds have wrapped around my head. And in verse 7, he admits in prayer, my life is fainting away. This was the thing of Jewish nightmares. This storm revealed Jonah's greatest fears in life. And so it was for the disciples, right? Uh, Deacon Jeff had preached last week about the feeding of the 5,000. Did a great job with that. 5,000 men, though. There were women and children and others there. So it's maybe as many as 20,000 people on five loaves and two fishes. This story is immediately after that. Jesus has stayed on the bank. He is praying for and dismissing the crowd and going up to the mountain to pray. Tells his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the sea. Then a storm comes, right? Verse 23, what's worse is it's at nighttime. Verse 24, Matthew tells us that they have been beaten and battered by the winds and the waves. They're at night, fully exhausted, not making any headway, being pushed farther and farther away from the land. And to make matters worse, in verse 26, they see what appears to be a ghost coming to them in the middle of the storm. And Matthew says they were terrified. 
terrified. You reckon? I mean, duh. We've got wind and waves in the middle of the night. Now a ghost is coming. Yeah, they're terrified, Matthew. It was a thing of Hebrew nightmares. So I want you to think about that. I want you to get in the boat with the disciples that night with all their fears. I want you to lower yourself down into the sea, into the depths of the sea, into the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea. And ask yourself, what is my storm? What's my nightmare? What's my biggest fear? What's my biggest anxiety? There's one verse in Matthew chapter 14 that we oftentimes skip over. It's verse 25. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Why does he throw that out, the fourth watch? Well, sometimes it is the fourth watch which seems to be the bleakest time when our fears are amplified. It is that time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., just before the dawn. As the old saying goes, it's always darkest before the dawn. Have you ever had one of those fourth watch moments where you wake up at 4 a.m. and all your fears and anxieties are amplified tenfold And you know at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, they're just going to fade back away. But in the fourth watch, they're tough. They're amplified. Two things happen in the fourth watch. Either you let your fears get the best of you, or you draw closer to the face of God. Remember, the fourth watch is also a time of peace and silence to meet the Lord in prayer. Jacob wrestled with God at the river Jabbok just before the sun came up through the fourth watch. Samuel... Young Samuel, who would later become a priest and a prophet, had God calling out to him in prayer during the fourth watch as he heard the Lord that night. Benedictine monks have always set aside 4 a.m. as one of the most powerful times when we can draw close to the heart of God. So it's either in the fourth watch where you have all your fears overwhelm you or you turn to a God who will be with you in the storm. Secondly, storms reveal what we believe about prayer. Perhaps you remember the story of Jonah, chapter 1. You know, he's given a commission by God to go to these pagan Ninevites, these vile people, very violent uh, people. Jonah is, of course, racially prejudiced, doesn't want to go, doesn't want to respond to God's plan. So Jonah is running away in chapter 1 from God's plan. Physically and spiritually, he begins to spiral out of control as he runs from the presence of God. Remember, down, down, down he goes. Jonah runs from God. He gets on a ship going in the opposite direction. He goes down to Joppa to get on the ship. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into the belly of the ship. Jonah is cast overboard and goes down into the sea. Jonah goes down into the mouth of the whale, down into the belly, down into the depths of the bottom of the sea. That downward spiral into the storm is both physical and spiritual as he flees from God. And guess what? Down, 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 and never once did he pray. Never once did he call on God to save him, relieve him, until he had no place to go. Alcoholics Anonymous would say, before you hit rock bottom, you're not ready to look toward God for help. He had no place to go in the bottom of that whale, or the bottom of that fish. You see, sometimes when things are going great, we don't need God, do we? We think we've got the plan, and we can perform that plan, and 
Sometimes you got to hit rock bottom before you really start to pray from the gut level. Did you know that there are two places where there are the seats of emotion as far as the Bible's concerned? Of course, we talk about the heart. We just heard Jesus say, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Heart's a good place, a good seat of emotion. But did you know that there's an even deeper one? It's called the belly or the gut or the bowels. Jeremiah 31, 20 says this in the ESV. Therefore, my heart yearns for God. But it's actually the King James Version that gets it right. Literally, it says, my bowels are troubled for God. Something deep, something visceral, something real, something authentic. Now, if I came to you after the service today and said, my bowels are troubled, <laughs> you'd probably say, well, what in the world did you eat last night? But really, that's a deep seed of emotion. God wants people to pray from the bowels, from the gut, from that visceral place, authentically praying, being real in prayer with all of our fears, all of our frustrations, in all of our storms, hitting rock bottom, where we only have one place left to pray, gut prayers. When I took the SAT in high school, I remember the coach saying, now don't overthink these questions, go with your gut reaction. I think God wants our gut reaction in prayer. Verse 28 of Matthew's chapter 14, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, it is, if it is you, command me to go to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, save me. That's a gut level prayer. Lord, save me. I've got nowhere else to go. Lord, you alone can calm the storm. Remember, that's the same thing that Jonah cries out from the belly of the whale, of the fish. So, how's your prayer life? Has it become stale? Remember, Jonah thought he could handle life until he got in the bottom of the sea, in the belly of the fish, at the bottom of the water. Has your life become, your prayer life become perfunctory, cavalier, nonchalant, or like Jonah, non-existent? Confront your storms, whatever they are. Pray from the gut level that the God of salvation will come to you. Lastly, storms reveal what we believe about God. One of the things that Peter learned that day in the midst of the storm was this. Take your eyes off of Jesus and all you will see is the storm that's raging around you. That's all you'll have time for. And then you'll begin to sink. But Jesus comes to him with great power. Says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, probably the better translation of that, ego of me in Greek, would be I am rather than it is I. Because what Jesus is saying is, the great I am is with you. The God who created the universe is with you. The God who creates the storms can still the storms. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid, Peter. Remember that's what Moses was told by God when Moses said, if I'm going to bring these people out of Egypt, they at least should know your name. And God said, go tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus is saying, I am with you. I am with you in the midst of the storm. Take heart. Do not be afraid. Look at me. Second thing that they learned is that the storms will not cease until you invite God or Jesus into the boat with you. Verses 32 and following. And when they, Jesus and Peter, got back into the boat, 
the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Likewise, when Jonah invited God into the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea, Jonah cried out in verse 9, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then in verse 10 it says, And the Lord spoke to that fish, and it vomited Jonah out unto dry land. It's visceral. It's gut level. It's, Lord, save me. I cannot, I'm powerless against this storm. Lord, save me. So what is your storm today? What is your storm? Invite Jesus. Invite God into the boat with you. He understands. Jesus sympathizes with you. You know, Jesus, what Jonah was a type of Christ, remember? Jesus said, just as the Son of Man will be in the ground for two days before rising on the third, so was Jonah in the belly of the whale before he was saved on that third day. Jesus has been through all the storms that we'll ever go through. He sympathizes and knows where you are. And he's also the great I am. He is God, the creator of the storm and the calmer of the storm. And he's waiting to be invited into your storm. Call out to him from the gut level. Call out in desperation. Cry out from your bowels and God will save you. Just as Jonah found out in the belly of the whale, the fish in the bottom of the sea. Salvation belongs to our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we don't have to turn on the TV set or walk very far in this world to know that in an age of pandemics and all the strife, uh, we are in a storm. Some of us have storms in our families. Some of us have sicknesses in our families. We want to pray from the gut, dear Lord, today to the God of salvation, to the great I am. We want to invite you into our storms. Lord Jesus, get into the boat with us. Help us not to take our eyes from you and to realize that you are the God who saves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.